Hello, and welcome to our podcast, Within the Mist, a hidden place where we walk into the dark and clouded unknown. I am your industrious host, Gary, here to entertain and inform you about the likes of cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries. With my lovely Wahine wife and co-host, Goldie Ann, and a special guest connecting to us all the way from Hawaii, my amazing Kakamahine, Ariel. <laughs> Hello, Goldie Ann. Hello, Ariel. How are you guys today? I'm good. Yeah. And Ariel, how are you all the way there in Hawaii? Good. <laughs> I know it's a six hour time difference. So for us, it's 11 o'clock. But for you, how early is it? 5 a.m. Ew. Yes. Gross. Well, we're glad that you joined us uh, because since we are going to be talking about Hawaii, we're tying in our subject for this week to some of the legends and history of Hawaii. Before we begin, though, because our daughter and her family are currently living in Hawaii, Goldie Ann and I are planning to visit them early next year. However, it can be very expensive. In fact, that is why I am putting it on layaway. Oh, God. I, wasn't even, I didn't even see that one coming. Oh, God. You know, at least each week you warn us <laughs> that it's coming. Nope. <laughs> Just straight into it today. <laughs> I'm going to stop the podcast right here for a second and ask you. Yep. So should you say Hawaii or should you be saying Hawaii since you're American? Uh, well, I don't know. Ara, what do you think? You can say Hawaii or Hawaii or because Hawaii isn't technically correct because there's an Okina in there, right. which is a glottal stop. And then our W's, ours, they're not mine. The W's here are typically either they're pronounced as a W like Hawaii or you can pronounce them like a V. Like we have Haleiwa, which is I butchered that pronunciation too, but the W in there is a V. So okay. either that one means- is correct hawaii is technically incorrect ah, see i had no clue and actually that's why i want to put in a disclaimer for this episode the hawaiian the hawaiian language is rich and beautiful with sounds like poetry even for the simplest of words however it is not my native tongue so i did my best to research the correct pronunciation of the names and places we'll be discussing today but I am sure many of the words are going to be said incorrectly. This is not meant as an insult in any way, and I apologize in advance if I get any of them wrong. So with that in mind, let's go over the synopsis for today. Hawaiian oral history has it that many centuries ago, a mischievous group of small people lived hidden in the forests and valleys of the islands. This was even before the first settlers arrived from Polynesia. These people, who roamed the deep forest at night, were said to be only two feet tall, though some were as tiny as six inches, small enough to fit in the palm of a hand. They enjoyed dancing, singing, archery, and their favorite foods were bananas and fish. They have been known to use magic arrows to pierce the hearts of angry people, igniting feelings of love instead. They also enjoy cliff diving, And according to local lore, they were smart, extremely strong, and excellent craftsmen. They were rarely seen by human eyes, and they are credited with mighty feats of engineering and overnight constructions. Even today, there are reports of sightings within the forests of Hawaii of these small people. Today, we talk about the Menehune. Awesome. So, Ariel, you're newly arrived in uh, on the islands of Hawaii. Mm-hmm. How, how quickly did it take you to get introduced to the Menehune? Actually, you introduced me, but I had already kind of subconsciously been introduced because, like, like we hadn't heard any stories or anything, but our water company is called Menehune, and they actually have, oh. like, their mascot on their bottle is just, like, a little guy. And when you had said something about it, I all of a sudden I was like, wait, I've seen one. Not really, but a little animation <laughs> of one. <laughs> cool. And they're pretty much everywhere as far as advertising there, are they not? Um, 
I've seen them quite a uh, quite a bit. Yeah. I know my first encounter with that was uh, when I started in my travel agency business for Disney. Yeah. And when I studied uh, Lani, they have a lot of sculptures around the Alani resort of the Menahune. Yes. And we are going to get into that because I have a whole section on popular culture. So we're going to talk about the resort and some of the things that they do there with the Menahune. That's the only thing I ever knew about them. Oh. Well, I'm going to. And they're what? I was going to say a lot of their merchandise is Menahune and they have like the mischief makers and stuff like that. I hear they're quite the little rascals. (laughs) Well, now that we know what we're going to talk about, let's talk about their very beginnings. Chapter one, the arrival of the original Polynesians. The time of people arriving to the Hawaiian Islands began during the early 300s BCE. This is the time period of Plato and the ancient Greeks. So if you can imagine people in togas, this is the same time that Hawaii met had its first people. These travelers came from the Marquesi Islands in only canoes, making the journey of 2,300 miles, utilizing the stars to guide them. Here, they decided to stay. When the Polynesians from Tahiti arrived later during the 1100s, they found dams, fish ponds, and roads that have already been built. These were attributed to the Menehune, people who existed on the islands even before the settlers of the Marquesa Islands. Catherine Catherine Luamala, author of the Menehune of Polynesia and other mythical little people of Oceania, suggested that the new settlers from Tahiti began oppressing the little people, labeling them as Manahune or commoner in the Tahitian language. These people were ultimately forced to feel these people were ultimately forced to flee to the mountains and valleys where they could remain hidden. It was these that became the mythical beings known as the Menehune. So Hawaii has a very long history going back 300 BCE and the Current settlers arrived there as early as 1100s, and they have built their culture since that time. Oral tales about these mystical beings continued from that very start and passed down through the centuries by word of mouth, generation after generation, until they were translated and probably changed to suit their new audiences. They don't possess the same wonder that the ancient versions have, but many are utilized as fables to teach children important lessons and to act as moral tales. Well, that's cool. So have you done any moral tales for your children? (laughs) I have not. Not with Menahune. (laughs) Go to bed or the Menahune is coming. (laughs) A lot of times the, the stories were told orally. So a storyteller in each of the villages would be responsible for knowing the stories and passing them down from generation to generation. Now, I know, Ariel, you spend a lot of time telling bedtime stories to Jude and so forth. So it's kind of the same thing, correct? Yes. So many, so many stories. (laughs) Well, I have some new ones to add to it. Chapter two, the three Menahune of Idaho. One of the more common of these folk tales is the three Menehune of Idaho. Idaho is a forest on the north side of Keikala. No, I'm pronouncing that wrong. Uh, A a forest on the north side of Heokala Crater on Maui, in which dwelt three Menehune friends. These three were named Halua, Ilu, and Molawa. They were well known by all the Meta- uh, they were well known by all the other Menahune living in Hawaii, possessing very unusual powers. The majority of the Menahune are known for having one special power connected to constructions, such as one might be a master of carpentry, another one at master of woodwork. These three were unique. Halua was so named by his kapuna, his ancestors 
a long time ago because he was always shaking, which it means to shake or tremble. He had a magic gift that whenever he would start shaking, he would disappear. And no matter where he went, he was invisible. Ilu in Hawaii means quick and nimble. And that is exactly what he was. Whenever Ilu moved, he was so fast that he disappeared. And that was Nope, we lost you. I'm back. Are you still there? Yes, I think I'm back. Okay. It says we're still recording. Uh, when was the last thing you heard me say? Uh, we were talking about Elu, I think. The quick and nimble. All right. All right I'm going to go back to Elu and then we'll continue on from there. Okay. Sorry. No, no, no. It's connections. It yeah, it might have been at our end because it's throwing okay. me an error here. Okay. Uh, Elu in Hawaiian. Elu in Hawaiian means quick and nimble, and that is exactly what he was. Whenever Elu moved, he was so fast that he disappeared, and that was his magic gift. As far as Maloa went, his name meant lazy, but he was not. In ancient times, the Kapuna would name people with hidden meanings. It was true in this case. The magical powers that Maloa possessed was that whenever he appeared to be lazy and sleeping, his magic self became invisible. His spirit left his body and he would be off and about doing good deeds of all kinds. So you have one who can shake and then he turns invisible. Another that moves so fast you can't see him. And the third moves around like a spirit whenever he's sleeping. So these are the three Menahune. Now the three were very good friends and happened to be walking down from the Kolua Gap. One bright and sunny afternoon. They were there to obtain food for the day's meals. Elu was so fast that the fish could not see him. And he filled his eek, the word for bag, in no time. And he called to the others who were harvesting bananas. Halua and Maloa made small holes in the middle of the banana trees with their spears so that they could use these as hand and footholds to climb the highest parts of the trees. There, they pulled a ripe bunch of bananas down and they picked off each one so that if any humans discovered the tree, they would think that it just fell. Loaded with bananas and fish, the three left for home in Heokala. As they approached the valley, they heard someone crying. They hid their food and went to investigate. Ilu walked fast and disappeared. Halua started to shake and he disappeared. Maloa hid himself in the forest behind some leaves, yawned, and went to sleep. His spirit joined the other Menahune, and the three traveled towards whoever was crying. In a small clearing in the forest, they noticed a young boy and girl sitting on a rock by a stream. The poor girl was crying. She was heartbroken and talking to the little boy so that the hidden Menahune could hear their conversation. She was sad that their Kapuna Kane and Kapuna Wahin, their grandfather and grandmother, were getting old, and they could not fix the broken taro fields. Without the taro root, they could not make poi, a principal food for the Hawaiian natives, and would have to go hungry. And Ariel's making an interesting face at the mention of poi. Have you tried it yet? We have, and it is definitely interesting. Um... I don't particularly like it, but I definitely think that everyone should try it while they're here. So I think it's one of those things, either you love it or you hate it, but. So, but, so you're glad that you don't have to live off of it. I don't know that I could live off of it, but the other, other food that Hawaii has to offer is spot on. So. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for these two, they would have to go hungry without the poi. The children had been sent to the forest to get fish for the family's dinner, but they could not catch any because the fish swam far too fast for their little hands. Hearing that, Elu immediately took the net that was lying next to the little boy, and he entered the stream next to him. The little boy and girl were so shocked to see their net floating in midair and move by itself in the stream. Their mouths stood open, and neither could say a word. Suddenly, the net floated back to them, and it was full of fish. 
Ilu set the net right next to them and went back to the other Menahune. They hugged Ilu and told him what a wonderful thing he had done. The little boy and girl could barely carry the full bag that they had put the fish in, and they were laughing as they left the forest. Upon returning home, the children had told their kapuna what had happened in the forest. Hearing this story, the grandparents knew that the Menehune had watched over their grandchildren, and the fish was a gift to them. They all joined hands and prayed their thanks to the gods for the Menehune's help. Over dinner, the three Menehune were discussing the faith of the little children and their grandparents. They decided they would go to the family's hut and repair it. As usual, the Menehune rule had to be followed that all work must be concluded in one night before sunrise. The ancient Menehune rule was that if the work could not be finished in one night, it could never be completed. Wow, why? <laughs> it's just part of the magic of the Menehune that if they are going to do a project, they can start as soon as the moon rises, but it has to be done before the sunrise. And if it's not, then it never will be. Hmm. I mean, it's kind of like that around here, but it's because when Vera gets up, then everything is just chaos. But <laughs> Vera being our granddaughter, then yes, yeah. I can understand that. Yeah, when she's awake, the work stops. It does. <laughs> well, for the Menahune, is yes, whatever you can get done during the night is all you're going to get done. Hmm. As the moon started to set, the three Menahune prepared the magical tools. Seeing that the moon had disappeared, the three Menahune left the deep forest and went to the grandparents' home, all in their invisible states. Arriving at the family's home, they immediately started working, fixing the broken home. They built new walls around the fields. They replanted numerous taro patches and made sure that they were all at different stages of growth. Having done that, they cleaned up and repaired everything around the Kapuna's property. The Menahune did not know that for some time they were secretly being watched by the little girl and boy who were hiding by the window in the house. Uh-oh. They couldn't see the Menahune, which is against the rules. All they saw was the Menahune tools moving around the taro patches floating in midair. Plants were being planted and started to grow as they watched. Like in the forest, they could not see anyone using the tools. All activity stopped. I'm sorry. <laughs> all activity stopped. All activity stopped at dawn as all activity stopped as dawn appeared and when the sun rose. They could see all the work was done, and in waking their kapuna, they all rejoiced that the night they had left a gift for the three menahunes. You see, the grandfather was a carver, and he had made three beautiful canes out of Kalua wood. He instructed his grandchildren to take the canes to the forest and leave them in the clearing by the big rock next to the stream. Then they were supposed to say mahalo, thank you, three times. The two children did exactly what was told of them, and after saying mahalo three times, they looked towards the big rock by the stream where they left the canes. The canes had vanished. They returned home to their grandparents and all lived happily ever after. The moral of this story is, no matter how hard your life is, there is always someone that will help you to make things better. A positive view of the world and the people around you is what is important. So what did you think of the story? I liked it. That was really sweet. Goldie Ann? Yeah, I thought they were troublemakers. That doesn't sound very troubling. Not at all. And there's, there's a lot of different stories of the Menahune. Uh, some of them where they do cause mischief and other ones where they are good guys. Okay. And in this case, they were three good ones. Absolutely. I need some of those in my life. <laughs> yeah, uh, a lot of people compare the Menahune to the cobbler and the elves. Yeah, it was really you know, the story where the cobbler is asleep and the elves are helping him by fixing all the shoes all during the night. So there is a lot of similarities between that story and stories like this one. But this isn't the only fable in which humans were involved with the Menahune. Before we continue, Ariel, is someone awake? I saw you motioning to someone. Remy. Oh, okay. <laughs> Remy's awake. Gotcha. He, and he was like, I'm like, shit. I don't yeah. need that. Yeah, we're hoping Sam doesn't join us. Yeah. 
Al, but he was like right next to me, just panting. And I'm like, shh. <laughs> well, if you listen closely during the Atlantis one, you'll hear Obi purring into the microphone. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Are you everything going okay? You're okay with how we're doing this? Right. You're doing great. Thank you. <laughs> Chapter three, Laka. Another story is told about a local Kavahi youth. Another story was told about a local Kavahi. Another story was told about a local Kavahi youth named Laka. Laka's father had gone away one day to visit a neighboring island, but for some reason he never came back. Because of this, the boy was teased growing up. As he grew into a man, Laka developed a strong desire to go and search for his father. His mother had told him to go into the mountains to find a koa tree, tall and straight, suitable for a canoe. The young man did just as he was told. After much searching into the mountains, he finally found the perfect tree. After cutting it down, Laka went home, planning to retrieve the falling tree the next day. However, when he returned the next morning, the tree was back in its original place as if it had never been cut down. Confused and amazed, he cut it down again, only to find the tree once again restored to its stump the next morning. What kind of magical tree is this? Laka thought to himself. He again chopped the tree down, but this time he also dug a hole next to the stump and there he hid himself to see what would happen to the tree. <laughs> Time slowly went by, and as Laka sat in the hole hiding, he slowly drifted off to sleep. In the dead of the night, he was awakened by a humming noise that echoed throughout the forest. As the, new, as the noise grew louder and louder, Laka saw them, a band of Menehune men led by a chief. Although very surprised, Laka was able to come to his senses, and he came up with a plan. When the Menahune got closer, he stretched his arm and quickly grabbed the chief by the beard. Holding the chief, Laka made a deal with the Menahunes to carve him a canoe, and then he would release their chief. Uh -oh. Reluctantly, the tiny people agreed, but only under a few conditions. First, Laka must go and build a large hut to hold the canoe. Second, he must feed all of the Menahune who worked on the canoe. And finally, the young man must not peek while the Menahune were working, no matter what. The industrious little people would never permit humans to watch them work. Deal, said Laka to the chief. And the next day, he did what he was told by the Menahune. First, he built a large hut for the canoe. Then he prepared a large amount of food. And as the night came, Laka wait as the night came, Laka laid awake, waiting. Soon he heard the humming noise emerging from the forest. The Menahunes first feasted on the food, and then off they went to begin their work. They hummed all through the night, and although very tempted, Laka kept his word and didn't even peek once. At dawn the next day, the humming disappeared. When Laka opened his eyes, the Menahune were gone, and in the hut lay a beautifully crafted canoe of the finest workmanship. This would be the beginning of Laka's adventures in finding his father. Also, he would discover more magic. Also, he would discover more magic laid ahead of him with the Menahune. Many of the Hawaii Many of the Hawaiian legends tell of deals made between the Menahune and the islanders. They usually require a trade, food being their favorite. Mine too. <laughs> this, <laughs> this would be in return for the work they performed. They were also very strict about the rules of how the Menahune performed the work. As mentioned earlier, they must complete an entire project in one night or never complete. And they must never be seen as they work. Otherwise, the Menahune can be convinced to perform amazing things. So what did you think of that story? I don't know. I felt kind of bad that they got like blackmailed into building a canoe. No kidding. <laughs> well, the, like I said, they can be mischievous. So sometimes you have to trick them into doing the, 
work that you want them to do. Otherwise, he was never going to get that boat built because they were just <laughs> going to keep fixing the tree. Yeah, I want to know. Kinda... Why, yeah, why didn't he just like cut down the tree and then take it? Why did he keep coming back for it like the next day? <laughs> My opinion is is that if it's going to be a tree big enough to be a canoe, he was probably pretty exhausted by the time he finished. I guess. I mean, and but when you did cutting it down every single day. Yeah, there, there's some uh, there's some character flaws in uh, Leica. I like that they built it for him, though, and I like that they liked the food. Yeah, they always like food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, they are little chubby little cherub looking things. Yes. <laughs> when you guys come to visit, though, and you try the food, you'll get it. <laughs> okay, we'll get. A little we'll, we'll turn food. into menahunes ourselves. So nice. Okay. Now, although there are many legends and stories to tell children about the Menehune, there are also different artifacts that you can actually go and visit that help support the legends of the Menehune. Chapter four, the Alicoco fish pond. Have you visited this yet, Ariel? Mm-mm. Okay. Well, then you're going to enjoy this. And the- then you're probably going to go. Thank <clears throat> Jude, since he loves them so much. <laughs> The Alicoco fish pond is an artificial body of water that was built to corral and catch fish. It is surrounded by a 900 foot long and five foot high lava rock wall. And it is a large bend at the Hulaha River. It is the largest fish pond on the Hawaiian island of Kauai, And it is an amazing work of engineering because archaeologists is st- It is an amazing work of engineering because archaeologists estimate that the fish pond is about a thousand years old, constructed in the 15th century. It is thought to be the first brackish water fish pond in the Hawaiian Islands, and it is still functional today. It was placed on the National Register of Historic Places in 1973. The interesting thing is that to place an item on the National Register of Historic Places, you have to document how it was built. Mm -hmm. The actual document legally states that the Menehune built the Alicoco fish pond. The story goes that it was built for a princess and her brother. The shy but strong group of hundreds of the tiny people lined up in a double row, which stretched 25 miles to retrieve large lava stones from a quarry and then carry them to the fish pond. The workers passed stones hand to hand and worked at night so as not to be seen cutting, transporting, and fitting the stones for their projects in a large bucket brigade. If they were discovered, their work would have had to have been abandoned. The Menehune were promised that no one would watch them work, which was carried out after dark. However, The royal siblings snuck up and watched the Menehune at work. They were amazed at how well and quickly the tiny people worked. They disobeyed their father and disobeyed the rules. The Menehune never rested and hummed the entire time. Eventually, the humming sound caused the two siblings to fall asleep. As the sun was beginning to rise, the Menehune discovered them and turned them into twin stone pillars, which are now known as the royal stones that can be seen today in the mountains above the fish pond. The disturbance also caused their work to be stopped before they could be completed in their task. Interrupted by the sun, the Menehune left two gaps in the fish pond wall. Many generations later, Chinese settlers attempted to fill the gaps and to raise smaller mullet fish, but the more modern stonework that closed the gap is far inferior to that of the centuries-old mystical Menahune. Hmm. And that is the legend behind the Alicoco fish pond. We'll have to get over there and see it someday. Yeah, that sounds amazing. But it also acts as a tale to warn you about peeking on the Menahune when you're told not to. I don't want to turn to stone. (laughs) No. Yes. And yeah, I guess the, the Royal Stones can actually be seen there too. So when you go, you'll have to look for those on the hill. That sounds amazing. You'll see the princess and the prince. That sounds amazing. 
Take lots of pictures. And what's really great is that this is a thousand years old and still functional. Yeah, that's amazing, especially because, like you said, that their work, like the newer work, wasn't as good as the older work, too. Craftsmanship that lasts for centuries compared to shoddy workmanship of today. Yeah. Like, mind. <laughs> the Menahune have utilized their ability to work together to create several amazing constructions to help make life better for the inhabitants of the islands. Among these constructions are irrigation waterways to help bring water to those areas that need it. Chapter 5, the Kiki Aloha, the Menahune Ditch. Now, on first glance, this ditch doesn't look like much. It's a small area on the side of the road, only about 50 feet long, in the town of Wamiya Kavai. In the town of Wamiya Kavai. Most people who come to this area to visit are more interested in the swinging wooden bridge across the street. But this little waterway holds a fascinating secret. Hawaiians had built many stone-lined ditches to irrigate ponds for growing taro, kalo. Hawaiians built many stone-lined ditches to irrigate ponds for the growing of taro, known as kalo. But very rarely would they cut stones to line the ditches. They just use whatever stones and whatever shapes they have available. Named Kikialoa, this ditch channeled water from the Waimea River into the fields of the lower Waimea Valley. It was engineered in a way that was not found anywhere else in Hawaii. None of the other islands have construction this detailed or this accurate. And it continues to puzzle archaeologists today because it is so advanced and so unlike any other irrigation system developed by the natives. Researchers believe that the stonework predates 14th century Tahitian migration to Hawaii, meaning it was here before the people. At one time, it spanned several miles carrying water from the river to the fields, preventing droughts and improving crops. Could it have been, could it have been built by the Menehune? As the story goes, Ola, the chief, I'm sorry. As the story goes, Ola, the son of the chief, and I will attempt to pronounce his name, Kualuna Pakumokomoko, paid the mystical builders one shrimp per Menehune to build the ditch to provide water in a single night. I wonder if one shrimp was enough to fill that little belly. Probably not, but uh, I guess that was the deal. Wow. But the Menehune agreed to it, and they said they would have it done in one night. It was also promised that all the people would stay indoors, and the dogs had to be muzzled to create silence for the night, which was done out of the respect of the Menehune. So I guess they're not big dog lovers when they're working. Well, imagine. I mean, dogs like to chase squirrels. They're not allowed to chase little six-inch little men. (laughs) What makes this structure so impressive is that it required moving stones from a quarry seven miles away. The Menehune built the ditch by cutting the rocks into exact shapes. They carved it that each stone is eight inches square on the ends and about three feet long. Each is left with a little peg at one corner, and the one below it has a hole, also known as a puka, that the peg fits perfectly into, kind of like Lego blocks. Each stone is hooked in and held fast without any need for mortar. They built the walls of the irrigation ditch up to 20 feet high from the river bottom. Wow. Unfortunately, though only a small fraction of it is visible today, British navigator and explorer Captain George Vancouver during his visit in 1793 described the aqueduct as being 24 feet high with the top of the wall large enough to be used as a walkway. Tragically, in 1924, a road was constructed and covers almost the entirety of the ditch before it was saved by the Historical Society. Many of the stones were taken by construction staff and the locals before it could be preserved, leaving much of it to be gone from, leaving much of it to be gone forever. 
Why wasn't it protected still? Uh, this was during 1920s. So at that time, there really wasn't a big concern for trying to preserve uh, historical sites, especially on an island uh, like Hawaii. People viewed the island and the natives there kind of differently than they did from ourselves. So pretty much mainland arrogance on our part. Sad, but true. And I'm sure you have to deal with that, you know, being there now. But in 1924, whatever was left was preserved and can still be seen today. Archaeologists can't help but agree that the construction technique is so intricate and it is unlike anything else you'll see in the Hawaiian Islands. Visitors to the Kikialoa will find a plaque erected in 1928 marking the site as listed on the National Register of Historical Places. Again, stating that the construction was done by the Menehune, who received the credit. Is this confirmation that it is believed that the little people of the island existed and they are responsible for the Menehune ditch? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. On there, you know, it it asks, you know, who built this? And yeah, they're actually writing down. Yeah, it was these mystical little people. Why not? We agree. (laughs) Yeah. The Historical Society said, okay. (laughs) Hey, you know what? It's in writing. And it helps it helps support that the Menehune actually existed. But what about the home of the Menehune? Legends state that the Menehune were frightened away from the main islands to hide in the forest when the current islanders arrived from Tahiti. Chapter 6, Necker Island. Is this a location you've heard of? Mm-mm. Okay. I have not. Well, it's on the northwestern of the Hawaiian Islands. And it doesn't show any evidence of any long-term inhabitations by humans. However, Necker Island has its own version of Stonehenge with 52 archaeological sites and 33 ceremonial hayu, which are places of worships where mana, also known as divine energy, is transferred and concentrated through rituals and prayers, making this a holy island. The island includes upright stones that are believed to be arranged to line up with celestial bodies. So just like Stonehenge, it's pretty much a giant calendar and it focuses magic for the lands of uh, Hawaii. Hmm. According to the legends from Kauai, these stones were placed by the Metahune after they were chased off of the main island. According to the myths and legends of the people of Kauai, which lies to the southeast, Necker Island was the last known refuge for the Menehune. They sought refuge there after they were chased off the island by the much larger, stronger Polynesians slash Tahitians. It was here that the small early natives were granted their magical powers from the stones that they erected. This granted them their amazing abilities to construct huge objects in one night and the gift to vanish within the forest of the islands. So Necker Island is where the Menehune gained their powers. Visits to the islands were said to have started a few hundred years after the main Hawaiian islands were inhabited, but they ended a few hundred years before European contact, leaving the islands to the first inhabitants. So the islands was given to the Menehunes to be their permanent home. If the Menehune can't be found on Necker Island, what became of the Menehune and how are they viewed in modern society? Aren't they still there, though? On Necker Island? No. On on Hawaii? Yeah. In the forest and so forth okay. is what a lot of the legend says. But that's not their home. Their home is supposed to be Necker Island. Okay. But, you know, they're social creatures or social people. So they want to be around us. But they're usually scared of us because of our size and the way they were treated by the ancients. Do you blame them? <laughs> uh, very much. I think it's best for them to stay far, far away <laughs> for their others. Yeah. So, chapter seven the Menehune of today. Okay. Scientists have been attempting to find any physical evidence of the Menehune but there have been no skeletal remains of a physically much smaller people found on any of the Hawaiian islands. However, there have been skeletal remains that suggest the Hobbit theory 
that were found in Indonesia that could support the possibility of the Menehune. In Indonesia? Um, Indonesia, even though it's far away from there, had its own colony of little people. And they actually found skeletons of these little people, which were nicknamed the hobbits. And I'll explain that. Homo florensius was discovered as an early human race on the island of Flores, Indonesia. They were nicknamed the hobbit due to their size of three feet, six inches. So this isn't just one person they found. They found a whole, yeah, a whole, they found a whole civilization of three foot skeletons. These skeletons had large teeth for their small size, shrugged forward shoulders, no chins, and relatively large feet on their short legs, which is why they got the term hobbits. It was believed that this species of prehistoric humans resulted from the island's dwarfism, an evolutionary process that results from long-term isolation on a small island with limited food resources and a lack of predators. So if you're a group of people that live on an island and you never leave the island, eventually the height and size of the people get smaller and smaller to try and preserve the food. And that is what happened on this island of Flores. Hmm. Now, there is no evidence to suggest that this tiny race of people ever left that island. It does support theories that there could have been other locations, other islands, such as the Hawaiian Islands, that experienced the same effects, creating tiny people giving rise to the Menehune. So I'm not saying that these Hobbit people were the Menehune, but if it happened in one place, it could have happened in another place, which could have happened in Hawaii. The Hawaiian cultures as we know it today is highly related to the Polynesian culture. In fact, archaeologists think that today's Hawaiians originally immigrated from Tahiti about a thousand years ago. However, there is indications of crossbreeding. Even though the Menehune were said to be displaced when the first settlers arrived in Hawaii, some people still believe that they are roaming the islands, carrying out tricks on some people while helping others, yet always remaining unseen. A curious fact to know, an 1820 census of Kauai listed 65 people as Menehune. What? As you know, a census is supposed to go door to door and ask people different questions about their background, their origins, what they do for a living and so forth. Well, one was done in 1820 on the island of Kauai, and 65 people listed their nationality as Menehune. Huh. Okay. So there are people who believe that they are have Menehune bloodlines in them. So even if the mythical race doesn't exist, actual people are listing themselves as Menehune. So what do you guys think about that? <clears throat> Oddly enough, I think of my grandmother. Because <laughs> she was so small. She was so short, so little. And she was dark complected and hunched over, hunched back from mm -hmm. my remembering because she was so old. And I just picture her being a little Menehune. <laughs> and that is what these people are. These, these were people who were smaller than the average Hawaiians. And they said that in their family's history, they either married or were fathered by Menehune. Interesting. So, Ariel, if you meet a small person, you never know. They may be part Menehune. I wouldn't I suggest. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go. I don't think it would be politically <laughs> correct to go up and ask someone that. But <laughs> there are sixty-five people in Kavai who said who came out and admitted to it. So, but that was when you said that was in eighteen twenty. Yeah, there's been a little. Past. I don't know if people are still. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I would be curious to check what the latest, the last time a census was done and what the revolt results were of that one. I can't believe you didn't look it up. I didn't think of it. I'd uh, be interested. All right. I will. Yeah. I will try and get back with you on that one. Thanks. Hey, Ariel, can you repeat that, that you would be interested? You're, you broke up a little bit. 
um, I'd be interested to see the the new census results. Perfect. And I will do my best to look into it and post those results. Now we've come to the part of our show where we talk about how the Menehune affect the popular culture. Product branding represents them as fun, little people smiling and playful. Their mischievous is utilized in selling clothing, as Ariel stated, bottled water and snack foods. So they are used as a commercial resource for the island of Hawaii. Hey, if it's not broke, don't fix it. They're pretty cute. I bet. (laughs) Do you think that the people appreciate that? Do you think it goes over pretty well? I'm not sure. I mean, I've never asked, so I wouldn't know. I would think that it's only done on the island. So if they had a problem, then it would have been stopped long ago. Yeah, I'm not sure. And like I said, the the background behind these little people was that, yeah, they were playful. They loved to eat. Right. And so I think they would appreciate being on logos of those kind of products. Yeah, I, I would think that being part of their culture, that they would embrace it. Well, I know Disney's Aluna, am I pronouncing Alani. that? Alani. Well, I know Disney's Alani Resort uh, takes in and embrace it completely. Uh, the resort is full of replicas of the Menahune in the landscaping, in the lobby, under tables, tucked in the corners of buildings, and nestled under rocks all over the resort. Wow. Is it like hidden Mickey's? You got hidden (laughs) Mahunes. Menehunes. Okay, you got hidden Menehunes. Yes. Well, they (laughs) exist there to represent the fun-loving yet shy tiny people. Here's what you you were asking about. The resort even has a Menehune adventure trail in which guests can participate in a scavenger hunt to discover enchanting survival can participate in a scavenger hunt to discover enchanting surprises by solving riddles, searching for statues of the Menehune. Oh, that sounds fun. The treasure hunt. Go ahead and say that again, Errol. I said it does sound fun. Can we wait to do that when we get there? Are you asking me to wait? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The treasure hunt is available to guests of all ages, but is best suited for kids who are a little older due to the difficulty of some of the clues. But um, yeah, I, I, Golden Ann's raising her hands, but because, yeah, I think some adults have problems answering clues. So maybe the kids will actually do better. Jude will do. Don't worry. He'll handle it. Yeah, we'll put Jude's Jude in charge of the treasure hunt. He loves scavenger hunts, so it's right up his alley. Okay, so yeah, we'll definitely have to do this and get back with people once we uh, participate in the Menehune Adventure Trail. We'll do a part two edition. In film, the animate, in film, the animated television show by Nickelodeon, Rocket Power, is about a family living in the Hawaiian yeah. Islands. And they had a few full-featured length mid. And they had a few full-length feature animated movies. Errol, do you remember watching this show when you were younger? I do, but I don't know why I never connected that it was in Hawaii. Like, I guess I thought it was California. I haven't watched it since I was a kid, though. Well, you might have to watch it now because the third film that they had from this show was titled The Island of the Menehune. Oh, wow. Yeah, the plot says that the gang participate in a bicycle race across the islands and discover one of the Menehune's hidden holy places. Taking a statue, they start experiencing bad luck at every turn. Don't take stuff. Well, that's what they're going to learn by by the end of the film. But uh, so, yes, uh, the Rocket Power animated TV show of our childhood. Well, your childhood. I loved it. it had its own movie about the Menahunes. I'll have to look into it. Yeah, see if you can find it. Have Jude start watching it. He'd love see it. He likes it. Exactly, because you used to love that show. And yeah, now that he's actually there, it might actually be more... Uh, connected. Connected perfectly. Better than mom did. Yeah. <laughs> All right. In regards to final thoughts... Errol, did you have any thoughts about last thoughts you want to talk about the Menehune? No, I liked learning about them. I 
I'm excited to learn more about these islands every day. And I, this is a new opportunity for me. So I liked it. <laughs> and I didn't even cover all of the artifacts or locations that the Menehune have been involved in. So when you doing your researching actually there, you might discover more than I found out. I'll have to look and see if there's anything on Oahu, like local that we can go out and see. I'm sure Probably. there is. Yeah. That would be fun. Goldie Ann? Um, I'm surprised you didn't have any stories about them being mischief makers, because that's the only stories I know about <clears throat> them. Uh, like I said, I was trying to put down more of the moral tales that they had uh, uh, because they were used as a means to teach children how to behave. Right. So I was putting more of the stories that fell in line with that. But yeah, there is a lot of stories where they just cause trouble, kind of like imps. Uh, so yes, there is more. Uh, Hawaii is so rich in culture and stories to include the Menehune. So I would highly recommend that people look into these and learn more about the Menehune. So is there an ongoing forest population of Menehune on the Hawaiian islands? Tiny people who can create structures unlike anything else found on the islands existing before the discovery of the Polynesians? And if they do exist, will we ever be able to prove one and find one in real life? There are citizens who consider themselves as part Menehune. So do their genetics possess the magic from these people? And what effects will it have on them? Perhaps the power still exists in the stories as a binding that connects all of the natives of the islands together to protect their culture. Well, being sure not to spy on any of the Menehune tonight, I suppose this is a good time to make our way back out of the mist and bring this episode to a close. I want to give a very special thanks to my daughter, Ariel, for joining us as she has some of the ground on... I want to give a very special thanks to my daughter, Ariel, for joining us as she has some of the on-the-ground experience with the Hawaiian Islands. Also, thanks to David Facilian and Facilian Studios for our introduction music. We are on social media such as Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We love to hear your stories and opinions about encounters with the Menehune of your own. Maybe you have your own favorite folktale about the tiny people. We hope you enjoyed our stories about the Menehune, and we'll come again for another episode next week. Until then, look to the islands and remain constantly curious. Aloha, everyone. Bye. See you next time. Bye. <laughs> that was cool. fun. <laughs>